Hey there, welcome to SAS Unbound, brought to you by SAS Group. I'm your host, Anna Nadena, and this is the show where we get an inside scoop on how successful founders and experts uh, made their business a success. And today with us, a co-founder and head of growth for Bundograph, Stefan Avram. And uh, Bundograph is a serverless API developer platform with a focus on developer experience. And we're here to today to talk about uh, their story found in it, as well as their best growth strategies. Hi, Stefan. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. It's not the first podcast that we have together, but uh, I guess it's been about half a year, right? So there is still a lot uh, to learn about Vandergraaf. So could you first maybe... Uh, tell us what Vandergraaf is. Sure. So Vandergraaf is an open source API developer platform. It helps developers quickly build, deploy, and manage APIs. And so we have two offerings now. So last time we spoke about a year ago or half a year ago, we only had Vandergraaf open source, which has about a thousand stars on GitHub, and it's used by some pretty large enterprise customers. And now what we've launched is Vandergraaf Cloud. So you can take that experience of integrating APIs and quickly deploy it. And so now our mantra is kind of like, you know, you can build a whole SaaS application in a weekend because you don't have to worry about DevOps ever again. So that's kind of what Wondergraph is and what Wondergraph Cloud is. Okay, so cool. So yeah, Wondergraph Cloud uh, is now live and uh, you have some better users now, right? So what does it mean uh, for for those that has been using Wondergraph for a while now, how is it going to change? So before with Wondergraph, it was an open source tool, so you can use it on your own infrastructure. And what we noticed was a user was using Wondergraph and they built a quick application for their, um, I forgot, I think it was an enterprise customer. And so they integrated a bunch of APIs together. And then the issue came when they needed to deploy on AWS. And so, they were able to integrate, you know, five, six APIs together, a database and build a whole SaaS application within their company that they were going to use for another project. But then it took them about a week to do this. It took them about two and a half weeks to deploy on AWS. And we thought like, why is this such an issue? And we started to realize that devs want to stay devs. They don't want to transition into that DevOps role. And that's exactly what some companies do is they transition developers also into DevOps rules. And so it took them two and a half weeks to deploy Wondergraph to AWS. And we thought that there must be an easier way. And so now you can use Wondergraph. You can, you get the whole benefits, the developer experience and the API integration of it. And then now you have one click deployment and you can deploy it to our cloud offering very quickly. And we are calling it the Vercel for backend. So what Vercel does for the front end, we now do for the backend. And so, like I said, it's super easy now to build SaaS applications and full product offerings with ease and never have to worry about DevOps or infrastructure. That sounds pretty cool. So uh, now I think your your competition is also bigger, right? So um, I don't know, platforms like Outzeta. Yeah, Outzeta, uh, Railway, and even AWS. Our ICP that we're targeting is what we are, startups. So startups have limited time and they have limited money and they need to build as quickly as possible. and. You can use AWS. You can eventually trans or um, move off of Wondergraph Cloud onto AWS as you get bigger. That's something that we have in the works. But for now, Wondergraph Cloud allows rapid iteration 
and rapid development. And so we're competing with these companies and we're also making it much easier for developers to quickly build out their products, get market feedback, get feedback from their initial users, see how it is. And now they just focus on the code and the product. They don't have to worry about integrating everything together and setting everything up. And so, so far we've seen a lot of success with our beta users and with startups. Okay, that's amazing. And uh, I keep hearing uh, you say it's user feedback is a customer feedback. So you guys are very big on getting feedback and listening to, to the customers and the users. So why did you uh, take this approach? Because this is a very niche kind of product that uh, at first, at least when uh, I got uh, introduced to it first, was very developer oriented. I think you're moving away from it a little bit, right? So how did you make those guys talk? Yeah, great question. So everything we do at Wondergraph comes from feedback. And uh, the biggest mistake in startup killers are not listening to your users. And so I see a lot of startups not listening to their users and building things that their devs want to build. And we've noticed that our devs are really good with using WonderGraph and integrating all these data sources. But we've also noticed their CTOs and vice president of engineerings are having trouble with deploying what they build with WonderGraph. WonderGraph is super cool, the open source offering, but deploying it takes it one step further. And so we're not moving away from devs. We still have a focus on devs. The whole point of WonderGraph Cloud is to bring the power back to the developer. So instead of having a DevOps team, a backend team and a front-end team that are all talking together and, you know, like, hey, can I deploy this? Okay, yeah, give me a couple minutes. Let me deploy it. Oh, okay, like, I'm actually busy. I can't deploy right now. Now the one engineer who can scale and really quickly get market feedback, all he can do is deploy to WonderGraph Cloud. And he just built his backend. He exposed endpoints for his front-end developers to consume, and he deployed it without having to bother anyone. And so we definitely got the feedback from our users, and so far they love it. And it's also very important to make sure that you're listening to what they want, and this is something that they wanted. All right. And uh, you also integrated uh, building in public into your growth strategy, right? And uh, I've been following it for a bit. So at first there was Discord and a lot of blogging. And now you have show and tell on YouTube. You have a ton of announcements. You go to uh, podcasts. You get, you get some guest appearances. So, uh, okay, tell us about your growth strategy and how it helps you uh, grow Vundergraph. Yeah, so great question. The biggest thing about WonderGraph is open source. So that's in our DNA, it's what we believe in. And open source means anyone can come and contribute. Anyone can come help out and become a part of WonderGraph. You know, we're still working on a name, but I call them Wonder Warriors. And so what we've decided is to go out and just be everywhere. And, you know, we've done partnerships, we've done building in public and building in public is so amazing because you can say, hey, like we're thinking about doing this and someone goes, no, that's a dumb idea. Do it like this. And so it allows for rapid feedback between people and a rapid feedback for our Wonder Warriors. And so building in public is huge. And we also think that a lot of people want to work in startups, but other than Y Combinator, it's a little bit tricky to see how startups work. And even then, Y Combinator doesn't show you exactly what goes in within a startup. So what we decided to do was Wondergraph uh, Show and Tell, which, like you said, is... Um, they're like 15, 20 minute videos and they're very simple, unedited, unscripted. And we just talk about what we did in the past week. Like, hey guys, this was our sprint. This is what we built. This is why we built it. And it gets to show engineers like what it's like to work for a startup. And we like to keep everything open because, you know, like there is competition. Yeah, they can look at our roadmap at any time. We have a public roadmap. But for us, our product, 
we think is so superior and our users love it so much that we're not worried about that. We're just more worried about giving the best developer experience to developers. And other than that, we've also started creating content. So we've been creating YouTube videos, which is like me, I'm actually like, I guess the developer advocate and the videos have been phenomenal. And like you get good comments and then you also get bad comments like, Hey, like your audio sucks, fix it. So that's why I bought a, a, a microphone. And so not only do you get feedback on the product, you also get feedback on how you can improve as a startup. And so it's part of our DNA and it's something that I don't see changing for a while. And then also it's super cool to go on podcasts like this one, and, you know, get to talk to people and see how they can, you know, like show them how they can improve with their startup or, you know, just meet new people. So podcasts, any videos, anything like that, just anything we can do to keep building our brand is what we've been doing. And, it, and it's something part of our DNA. It's open source, I guess, but for community building. Right. So it, it's not uh, your your usual tech startup, right? A lot of um, tech startups claim that they are building in public. And yes, there is a Discord and maybe there are a few blogs, but you guys just took it to a whole new level and you, you got yourself a show, you got yourself uh, lots of different stuff. Like you got swag now, I mean, super early in your, in your days. So how do you make sure that, again, you involve this kind of... Um, um, audience into everything that you're doing and you provide, you show the value that uh, being in Vandergraph community is. Yeah. So th the swag packs are actually super awesome. We have like a store and we give out vouchers and people can go and they can pick out the swag. They get t-shirts, cups, like, uh, you know, like coffee mugs like this, or they can go and get like backpacks and things like that. And it helps build the community because when people have something physical and tangible other than the software that they're using it makes them feel a part of the community and so like when you see i haven't had it happen yet but like one day i hope i'm walking somewhere and i see somebody wearing a wondergraph shirt and i'll be like oh my god like that that means i've made it and so that means like that's the type of community we're trying to build is that anybody can become a wonder warrior and they can come and they can contribute to the software and they can really make a difference and we have uh things on our github called like good first issues and so we talk with a lot of junior devs and they're like hey i'm scared like how do i get into um open source and we help them through and we help them with the easy first issues so they can be part of the community and the swag has been awesome because like i said it's super easy to just you know like someone contributes something really amazing and you send them a swag pack and they they just go 10 times more they want to contribute more because now they have something tangible and they feel like they're a part of the team which is exactly what they are they're part of you know the wonder warriors we're still working on the name so if anyone has any suggestions on what we could be, I would love that. But for me, I'm Wonder Warriors, but my co-founders don't like it that much. <laughs> okay, it it has this uh, Marvel kind of vibe to it. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's super cool. Uh, I love how you uh, how you try to involve people, and I absolutely agree that uh, swag bags are cool. Like it it can be the simplest thing but you still you still uh, feel like you belong. So what is the, uh, and again, let's come back to, to the fact that you have a ton of different activities going into your growth strategy. Uh, have you noticed over the last year, which one works best for you? Yeah, so um, I think we talked about this on the last uh, podcast, but um, always 80% of your success will come from 20% of your efforts. And so, it's really important early on to try everything, YouTube, blogs, uh, cross-posting, uh, jumping into communities, Reddit. And you'll notice that 80% of all the traffic to your website comes from 20% of your efforts. And so our 20% are blog posts. 
we write very detailed and technical blog posts for uh, developers. And there's no fluff in it. There's no marketing. It's just, hey, here's how you can do this with this. Here's how you can solve X with Y while saving, you know, Z. And they're very technical and they're written by our technical team. And a lot of success comes from those blog posts because we're helping you solve a problem. And then we also say you can also solve the problem this way. So blog posts is a huge one. And then uh, a new one from our last conversation is YouTube. So YouTube is phenomenal. And I've noticed the shorter the videos I make, the more engagement I get and the more feedback I get. So if you can make a video like um, Fireship, is a, he's a YouTuber. He makes 100 second videos that blow up. They get like two, three million views. And it's because he can so quickly tell you what a product is, what's the value of it and how you can get started with it all in 100 seconds. So for us as well, YouTube is probably our newest growth strategy that's working really well. And it's actually really fun to make. Like I, I've learned editing, I've learned how to, you know, record, I've learned how to get like, you know, like in front of the camera, which was kind of hard for me at first, but um, it, it's been well. So blogs, YouTube, and then as always having an open community like Discord is also super awesome. Right. But I also noticed that at the same time, you guys are very active, especially you and uh, uh, Jens are super active on uh, YouTube and Discord, not so much on LinkedIn and the, this whole like uh, founder branding thing. Uh, why not? <laughs> okay, so LinkedIn is weird for me because um, I think LinkedIn is too much fluff. Like, there's a lot of, you know, like people writing weird sob stories or something like that. And LinkedIn is a great place to, you know, if you're looking for a job, but a lot of developers are not on LinkedIn. So you'll find CTOs on LinkedIn and you'll find, you know, vice president of engineering, but very rarely where you will find developers and CTOs and vice presidents are in blogs. They're reading and trying to solve the problems that they're having in their organizations. LinkedIn is just a good in my opinion, maybe it doesn't work for us and it can work for somebody else. I'm not saying it's a bad avenue, but I'm just saying in our case, LinkedIn is just a good branding opportunity, like where you can repost stuff that you've already done. And like, I'll post a post, it'll get like 30 likes, five people visit the website. But if I post something on Reddit where developers are hanging out and it gets, you know, 60 upvotes, 60 people most likely visited the website. And so it's just for us, it hasn't been a good avenue. Maybe it might change in the future as we get more enterprise, but we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to just be very honest about it and also say not just it is for you, as in your case for the developers, but it's also not for you, as not for those people hanging out on LinkedIn, right? So maybe when we talk about competitors, maybe Outsider is not really a competitor because you guys are a lot more developer oriented. And that's a good thing in your case. Yeah, it works in our case. One thing, though, that I will um, share is so we recently um, did a video called Coding in a War Zone. So we have an employee that's in the, I'm going to mispronounce it, but the Kekrek region of Ukraine. So he's very close to the active war zone. And um, he's been working with us for about eight months. And so it's a it's an honest interview with him to tell like how it is like you know working in an active war zone and from time to time he has to go off because you know there's some missiles flying by or something very you know terrible and it's it, it's kind of eye-opening to see the wonders of technology can do because we can work with people from all over the world but it's also eye-opening to see other people's situations and so that post did really well on linkedin and it wasn't a marketing post it was just like you said our build-in public mantra we want people to know like 
we're working with somebody based out of Ukraine. And that's not like a sob piece, like, hey, come check out our software. It's like, this is the reality that we're living in, you know, like virtual work makes this possible, but also it's important to know like how people are reacting to it and how we can help out, you know, Ukraine, for example. And so that did really well on LinkedIn. I'm not sure why. I think maybe just because it was a sentimental piece, but on Reddit where the developers were hanging out, they didn't care. They maybe thought it was clickbaity or something, but that did really well on LinkedIn. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very different audiences, I think. Okay. So let's go get back to the fact that you guys are open source. And this is something that I'm probably bringing from my past job, right? But these are some of the questions that were asked by the developers who uh, realized that the project uh, is open source. So first one is um, it might be dangerous because anybody could just go in and take the code and leave with it. And the second issue would be who's going to pay for open source? It's just out there. You know, why mm -hmm. should I pay? So how do you uh, deal with these two issues? So the first one, um, we don't mind. We actually have a funny story. Um, we were getting a bunch of pull requests from China and they had like, based on, because we have telemetry, so we can see people using it and you can always opt out of it, but the telemetry helps us see what data sources are being adjusted, how people are using it, and it helps us make product decisions. And we had it very clear that we have telemetry and you can turn it off if you don't want it, you just want to use it, that's fine. But we had a lot of PRs and a lot of requests coming in from China. And so we did a little investigation and we found this website that looked exactly like ours, but in Chinese. And we translated it and we were like, this is Wondergraph in China. And uh, the guy was in our Discord and we reached out to him and we were like, hey, this is uh, this is super cool. Like he built like a whole UI on top of it. And like it's Wondergraph, but with like 10, 15 features that we didn't think about or add. And we reached out to him and we were like, wow, like this is really impressive. You put in a lot of work. Like what is this? He's like, oh yeah, it's used within our company. Um, we're part of an R&D uh, lab section of our company. We're a huge company and we're using Wondergraph and it's one of our product offerings. And so just like you said, they took the code, they copied it and they moved it over. And we were like, this is amazing. Like, you know, you built so many new features on top of this. Do you mind if we like enter into a little partnership? Like you guys can use Wondergraph, no problem. It's open source, but help us out. Like, can we use the UI section of it? And it's like, yeah. And so now we got like 10 to 15 new features that we're going to be adding, you know, like a, uh, like a query dashboard, people to be able to see uh, their operations in a UI standpoint, since we're code first. And this all came from a company taking our software since it's open source and building on top of it. Maybe they should have let us know ahead that they were going to do that, but we saw it and we found out anyways, and we didn't mind. So they could either become a potential customer of ours. And what has happened is in our discord, they ask questions. And so we've seen them and we've been helping each other out. And so it's actually been a good thing for us. And another thing is we've had um, a large enterprise customer using us. And, um, we were like, uh, Hey guys, like we reached out via cold email. We're like, we see that you're using Wondergraph. Maybe we can help you out with one of our paid offerings. And that led to a paid customer. And so this kind of feeds into the second question. Like it's open source. How do you get people to feed? How do you get people to pay into it? So open source is our, it's our love. It's what we started with and it's for the community, but there's also different ways you can transition that into a SaaS offering. So, which is Wondergraph cloud, you can use Wondergraph. But deploying, it's going to be very tricky. You can either use a support contract and let us help you deploy it on your architecture and also get, you know, custom features, uh, support, uh, consulting from us, different things like that. Or you can pay 50 bucks a month 
and you can deploy your WonderGraph or your Wonder Node instances, which is just basically your backend. We just call it a Wonder Node, and you can deploy it on our cloud super quickly with one touch. And so people are like, oh, okay. So they go from open source to SaaS, or they go from open source to support. And eventually what we'll have is uh, open source to on-prem. So a dedicated on-prem solution for enterprises to use where they pay, I don't know how much a month, but it's basically an on-prem SaaS. So everything that they need for WonderGraph to be on-prem, they'll have that and it comes with metrics, it'll come with tracking, it'll come with you know query builders, everything that they need. And so that's kind of how you transition from open source to paid. And two companies that did really well with this is um, Next.js and Vercel. So Next.js is the open source framework for building front ends. And then Vercel is the frame is the development platform for deploying the front ends. And that's similar to our approach. We're the backend development platform. And then WonderGraph Cloud is the easy platform to deploy it. Same way as Next.js and Vercel is. And Strapi as well. Strapi did a really good open source to paid offering. That's a really cool story, actually, about the Chinese company. Uh, I love how it how it got to be an opportunity for you. Okay, let's let's talk about the fact that you guys first. Let's get a little bit further in history, right? Uh, how you never met uh, yeah. before you started working together, and uh, how you went on to raising funds again, uh, even before you met. Right. And why did you decide to do it? Because uh, as far as I can see, you know, people are ready to uh, to pay for Vandegraaff. You've got quite a few enterprise customers. So why not use it for growth, for development, for, uh, I don't know, salaries and whatnot, but go and raise around? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. So um, like you said, we never met. So um, me and Jens, uh, the original founder, we met on Y Combinator, find a co-founder. And so I was very interested in startups and I like to do sales and marketing and he was very technical. And we met and we started talking about it and we decided it would make sense to start working together. And we started working together and we got our first enterprise customer and we were making money and things like that. But bootstrapping and hat off to anyone that bootstraps, it takes longer because you know, you have to keep getting customers, keep doing the sales. And so I have two uh, pieces of advice. So if you don't have a product yet, but you have an idea and you have your co-founder and everything, go with Y Combinator and try to get in with them because they'll fund you based on just an idea. They'll allow you to build an MVP. You'll do demo day and then you'll land your seed round. For us, it didn't make sense because we already had a product. We had users. We had one enterprise customer. And then we were like, okay, this is something that needs to be a company. And we decided to raise uh, funds by, um, well, first we got one more co-founder on a technical co-founder and one more who was a CEO at a big company before. And he decided to join us and be our COO so he can handle the building around or the building of the company. And so we decided to raise money because our goal was ambitious. Eventually we want to become either what we say, the Amazon of APIs or the GitHub of APIs, where with one click deployment, you can add an API into your application very quickly, just like you go on Amazon. And, you know, you want to order a carton of eggs and then it arrives to your house in two hours. We want to do that except in seconds. So you want to add in payment processing. You can select from our payment processing options. You click, boom, it's installed into your WonderGraph application in a second. And so that is our vision. And it's actually our vision is kind of changing a bit with the introduction of AI and things like that. And there's a lot of stuff that's coming up that's going to be really exciting. But for that mission, you need funds. 
And it makes it a lot easier instead of four guys working on this two developers to raise some money and hire 13 engineers. So now we have a full team of 13. I think uh, 10 of them, 11 of them are engineers and we're spread across all over the world. And so for us, it made sense to raise the money. And if you want to grow and you want to scale quickly and do rapid iteration and rapid prototyping, you can use WonderGraph Cloud, of course, but you also need money and the money helps a lot with that. Okay. All right. Uh, so were there any uh, any challenges while you were doing it? Was it difficult to um, to approach investors or maybe you went to only those that actually knew how it works and, uh, you know, had an idea of what kind of advantages it could bring to the users and customers? Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a video game series called um, Dark Souls. Have you ever heard of them? No, I don't think so. Not big on video games. Okay, so I'm a big gamer, and Dark Souls is like, uh, it's just a video game, you know, like lore, and each boss that you fight is just ridiculously hard, and they just get harder and harder and harder. And so that's kind of how, like, building a startup is. And so raising money is really hard, and it's a big boss, and you have to get through it. And the easiest way we found, or not the easiest way, was we made a list, a Google Sheet of 250 developer tool-focused um, investors, you know, whether they're firms or angel investors. And we started reaching out to them. We said, hey, we have this traction. We have this user or enterprise user. We have four guys. Here's their background. And we made a pitch deck and we sent it to them to like 250. And um, we would follow up and whatever. And we would get on calls. And the very first VC call you get on is going to go horribly wrong. And that's totally okay. But the second one is going to go a little bit less horribly wrong, but it's still going to be horrible. And then the third and the fourth. And by the time you get to the 25th, 26th VC call, you're going to get in a flow and you're going to get really good at pitching with VCs. And you're going to notice that it's just like a skill like anything else. Pitching to VCs gets better the more you do it. And so you're going to keep pitching and get better and better. And then eventually all these no's, which you're going to get, and you have to make sure you have a hard show for this, is just go from no, 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 no to wait. Let me think about it. And then you're going to keep going no, 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 no. And then somehow that guy that said, let me think about it is going to be like, yeah, let's do it. Because I also have these angel investors I want to jump in. And so that's kind of how we went about our process and raising money is hard, but building a startup after you raise money is even harder. So it's like a new boss. It's like hiring, hiring. I thought hiring was going to be easy. It's actually harder than raising money because hiring your first 10 employees is critical and it's even harder. So pitching is hard, but with enough practice and enough skills. And if you have the traction, you'll get on the calls. The more calls you get on, the better. And it's just like sales. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then eventually you'll get one yes. All right. Uh, but uh, like a lot of founders are extremely afraid of um, the hyper growth that investors are going for, right? Your job now is not just build a startup. It's not just build a great product but also make enough money so that you can get your investors whatever you owe them now, basically, right? So how to make sure your goals are aligned, how to make sure that uh, apart from your new goal, you still have uh, strength, you still have focus to, to build what you set up to build. So how do you, yeah, how do you basically now approach your product and how do you deal with the need for, for hyper growth? 
So hypergrowth is interesting, especially like right now in the current like landscape that we have, like not a lot of companies are just hyper growing, you know, VCs have become reluctant to give money. And when you get in with a VC or an angel investor, it's kind of like getting married and you have to make sure that there's no red flags and you have to make sure that you guys align. And so if theirs is, I'm going to give you 5 million, I need you to triple my money in one year. You're going to be like, 99% 99% can't do that. Like, you know, and most investors, they invest in the person. They're not investing in the idea. They're like, okay, the idea is good. It's really good. But this person is a hundred times better. And I believe in him and I believe in the team. And so to navigate that, you you, you don't need to care about hypergrowth because you might have to pivot. You might have to move. Maybe it's something the market doesn't want. There's so many different moving pieces that you have to stay agile and you have to make sure that you're seeing what the market wants and pro- finding product market fit it's probably even harder than raising money. And so your investors need to be on board with this. If your product's already achieving rapid growth, then hypergrowth will be fine, but also it can stagnate and it could just die right there. And so your investors, depending on the ones you get, you want to get someone that has a like-minded with you. They they understand the technology if you're, you know, a SaaS product or they understand the problem that you're solving. But if they're pressuring you for a return on your investment, then that's probably not the VC for you because I like to say like if you're not willing to stay with your startup or put in the work for 10 years, you shouldn't build a startup. Like if you're looking to just build a SaaS, be an indie developer, build a quick SaaS, sell it on, you know, acquire.com, but a startup, a company, you know, with the culture, with a product and, you know, you're serving large enterprise customers. This is something you're going to be in the game for 10 years and your investors should align with that. And our investors align with us on that. And they know that this is something that will take time to really hit that vision because Anything that's contrarian or goes against the grain of how API integration is now and how we see it in the future, it takes time. You have to convince people like, hey, there's a better way to do this. And so I don't think founders should be scared of hyper growth. And I don't think founders should be pressured into hyper growth. You know what you're doing. You know the product that you have. And you know that it'll take time. But you should also stay agile and listen to what the market is saying. And you should also, with a grain of salt, listen to what your VCs are saying. People forget that VCs are just people with a lot of money. Like they have experience and stuff like that, but you're the founder. And I've been reading a lot about this actually. And I actually have a friend that was telling me about this. Um, If your VC is like holding your hand on what you should build and what you should do. And that's kind of what happened with Reed Hoffman in his first uh, startup. He got to Series C and they were kind of dictating everything and he left and that startup ended up failing. It's because that's not the fit. And for us, our VCs give us total freedom and they believe in us. And that that's the type of relationship you want with your VC. That sounds great. Okay. So uh, you started then uh, scaling your team, right? After you raised a round. So uh, what do you say it's uh, the most difficult thing is hiring people? Why do you find it so hard? So... Early on, you can get a headhunter and they'll cost you an arm and a leg, you know, like depending on your salary. But um, headhunters also don't care about you. They care about, you know, making a, a quick buck by finding you a candidate. And so I found early on under 10 employees, you should find yourself because these are 10 people that you're convincing who are great engineers that can go work at any big company to come join you for a lower salary and some equity for some idea that you have or some vision that you have. And that's hard. Like it's like pitching to VCs. You're, you're convincing somebody to, to base their livelihood and their family's livelihood on your idea. And you can't do that with a headhunter and headhunters will, they'll, they'll pitch the salary for you. You want to pitch the vision 
And that's really hard to find people that are like, wow, this is brilliant. Let me join. And so it's just like pitching to VCs, but now you're pitching to engineers who are brilliant people that can get a job anywhere they want. And so for us, we somehow got so lucky. Like our team, I absolutely love working with our team and there's some brilliant people and everyone is so smart and opinionated and I love it. And the way we found them was by staying to what we believed was true and finding them ourselves. So we started posting uh, for like the stack that we're using, like Golang, we started posting in the Reddit trap. Like, hey, like we're hiring, here's what we do, here's our vision. And that's how we got Alberto, one of our engineers. And then another interesting tactic was um, follow startups because one startup sadly went under an incredible startup. And uh, I knew the founder and I was like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like if I can help out your engineers, let me know. And he recommended four engineers to us and we picked up two of them. And so that was a really good way to get them. And then also your personal network is huge. And so when you start an idea and you've been an engineer before, you've worked with engineers. So Jens was... uh, an engineer for this for 10 years before you started Wondercraft and he had personal connections. And so our first hire was an actual personal connection that he knew. And so that part was a little bit easier since they already know you and they've worked with you and they can see the brilliance, but that's probably what works best. And hiring for any startup is super hard because it's critical that you get the team and the culture right in the first 10 employees, because as you start to scale and build, it's going to be even harder to build that brand and that culture and, you know, that mantra. And so if you can do it with 10 and you really solidify and work on it, then it's really easier to do it once you get to a hundred. Right. Uh, I think you mentioned what four or five people, right? Those all are engineers. Did you hire anybody uh, to help you with, uh, with growth or maybe with sales? So actually, so uh, we have like 13, 10 of them are engineers including the founders. And then we have one financial controller. So she helps us out with um, like finances, making sure we're not spending too much money, making sure that we're growing and that we're, you know, um, the revenue's coming in. So that's really helpful because our COO is taking care of that. And then we just hired another marketing person to help me. So for now it's only been me and I've been doing all the marketing, the content creation. This one will be doing like SEO research and just somebody that can help me distribute more content and do it more tactically, if you will. And so we just hired one more growth person. He actually doesn't have a title yet. I have to think of a title, but like for us, titles don't matter. Like you're just joining this rocket ship. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder warrior number 13. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So you've had quite a unique role and and for a while, I mean, Wondergraph is what, one and a half, two years? Yeah, yeah. So actually, it's one. Yeah, one and a half or like 1.7, like one year and seven months. Yeah, okay. So you've been the only one doing growth. And the rest of the team is engineers. How do you survive? (laughs) I mean, basically, how do you maybe convince uh, your engineering team that this is the uh, the channel that you need to use for growth or uh, having swag bags is something that you absolutely need. So how to make sure the co-founders, technical and non-technical, just align in their vision for the product? So I, I wouldn't say I'm the only one. Yeah, that's my title, but all the co-founders and everyone is obsessed with growth because if you're not growing, you're dying. And so Early on, we told our engineers, like, you guys will be engineers, but you also be advocates, like post on Twitter, show what we're building, build in public. And we've hired people that believe in that mantra. But also my co-founders, they also help out with growth. They're like, hey, let's do this. Like Bjorn, 
uh, our COO, he does these building wonder graph, uh, YouTube, uh, videos where those are like, you know, the coding in the war zone. And then I do the more demo contents. And so everybody has a growth mindset and Jens also helps out. He posts a lot on Twitter and he posts what he's building and he's building up his CEO persona and like, Hey, like, this is what we're building. And like, he gives, you know, leadership blog posts as well as very technical ones. And Bjorn also talks about things that he's experienced in. And so everyone on the team has a growth mindset. So like in a little, in probably a small percentage, everyone is a little bit of head of growth because we're all working on growing together. So, but for me, I, I kind of orchestrate, I do a lot of experiments, some things fail, some things are, you know, awesome and they scale, but um, yeah, I just work together with the whole team and it's really helpful that we have like a meeting every morning and we talk about what we're working on, you know, like a standup. And then from there we try a lot of different things and then we hone in on what works. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's a very healthy uh, relationship within the team. So what has been the biggest challenge so far? Oof, that's a good question. So it, it's weird. Like when you have an amazing product that not only you think so, but other people think so, it's very hard to go from early innovators. So the very small percentage of people that are like, wow, this is amazing to early adopters. And so for us, the biggest challenge right now is cutting through all the smoke that's in the tech world. Like a new framework comes out every single day or like a new tool comes out every single day. And it's like, yeah, all those tools are great and everything, but there's this tool that can solve five or six of those problems with one, you know, one click deployment. And so the biggest problem is cutting through the smoke and really framing your offer in a, in a compelling way to the developers. Okay, so how do you uh, how do you retain your users? Because early adopters, they're just hooked on uh, the novelty of the whole thing, right? So how do you make people stay? Just with a good product, I guess. Like once they're in, and you know the swag helps. The swag's always helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, no, you want them to be a part of the community, and so joining the community, giving them a product that continuously is like, wow, this is amazing, and like trying to m make it so it's really hard for them to switch off because they love the product so much. Not in a weird way, like Facebook, you know, where you can't find the delete account button, but in a way that the product is so good and that they're getting so much done that it's like holy crap, I'm only paying 50 bucks a month for this. Like I should be paying 500 bucks a month with this, with how good it is. So just providing them with so much value. And the other really good one that every company that's a small startup should do is just customer experience. Like just be obsessed with them. Like, you know, they ask you something, help them out. Like no matter what time of night, just help them out. And they're like, holy crap, like Stefan helped me out with an issue at 3 a.m. Like if you try to do that with AWS, good luck. You're going to have to pay, you know, a consultant a thousand dollars an hour. And so that customer experience and being obsessed with them is really helpful. Okay. All right. So just a couple more questions. We, we talked about the biggest challenge. What is the biggest win so far? The biggest win? So I think it's daily when someone posts something in the Discord about like how much they love Wondergraph. So those are really big wins for us. But the biggest win is just assembling this team and shipping cloud in six months. Like that was crazy. Like what you can do now with cloud versus what we had an idea six months ago, that's a huge win to us because the, it was just on paper, like what we thought. And then now it's a tangible thing that you can actually use and build your SaaS in a weekend, which to us is amazing. And then, so that's the biggest win I would say for Wondergraph is how fast we were able to ship cloud and the feedback we've gotten so far from it. 
Okay. All right. And I have a bonus question. So what do you think is the trend, a technology or an issue that uh, most affects SaaS industry today? Uh, it might be biased, but not really. I've always thought about this is uh, API integration. So as a SaaS offering, it gets really tricky to integrate, integrate APIs. And so one way we're mitigating that is by having a complete SaaS starter kit where you choose the front end that you want to deploy with, you know, Next.js, Remix, Astro. It comes built in with Stripe because you're going to need payments. It comes built in with Twilio, email support, whatever you need. And one click deployed is deployed to the cloud and it's deployed to Vercel. And so you literally built a SaaS framework in a couple seconds. And so the biggest problem I see is a lot of companies integrating APIs into their SaaS. And each API integration is like a small piece of art because it's a developer that did it. And there's no unison, there's no, you know, collective guidelines on how to integrate APIs. And so as you get bigger, it gets more chaotic and there's legacy APIs and there's things that a developer worked on and he's not there anymore. And so this whole chaos needs to come to some type of order. And so that's where we see Wondergraph fitting in is that Wondergraph allows you to create these guidelines on how APIs should be integrated in a very opinionated approach. But it comes built on standards like, you know, like S3, GraphQL, OpenAI. Uh, API connect or open API and like all the correct specifications that developers should know about. And so API integration right now for SaaS I think is a mess and it's also annoying. Like you have to go read the documentation when really you should just be able to install it like a dependency with Wondercraft, you know, NPM install Stripe, boom, put in your ENV, put in your code, your API key, and you're ready to go. And so that's, I guess where I see API integration going and what we want to solve and I think that's the biggest problem we have right now. Okay. All right. It was actually in, in one of the articles that I wrote, integrations is the trend in, in uh, SaaS right now. And uh, I completely agree with you. Okay. You the lights. Uh, the, <laughs> the lights went out. <laughs> it doesn't agree with me. Okay. It does matter. Uh, but... <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, thank you for, for being on the second podcast. Thank you for sharing the story. I mean, it's uh, it's awesome to, to see how early stage startups can grow, especially such technical ones. So uh, thanks for doing that. Of course. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast. And uh, I hope you enjoy the swag bags. Maybe wear them in the next interview. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> thank you. All right. And take care. Take Bye. care. Bye.